All right, so now we have uh, Hannah. She's going to come up, and she's going to give us a word of encouragement and exhortation from uh, God's word. So let's give her a round of applause. Oh, can I get, uh, oh, uh, well, this one would be great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Good morning. All right, how are you guys doing? Good. Oh, Kayla. Come on, Uncle David, you can do better than that. All right. Well, I have to say I'm a little surprised that there's so many people here today. When I was first told that I would be speaking on the 29th, I thought, okay, so it's going to be three people. We'll just sit around and pray about the year, right? So I hope everyone brought their own sermons because you're supposed to share with the person next to you. Um, but no, it's great today uh, to be here today to share with you, and it really is an honor and a privilege uh, to, to speak on the last Sunday. I think there is a lot of significance. Um, I am constantly reminded it's not just the last Sunday of the year, it's the last Sunday of the decade, as if I need to be reminded of that, you know, like no pressure, right? Last message of the decade. Um, but it's fine. If you don't like it, you can go home and listen to another one, and then that'll be the last message of the decade. <laughs> but... But Christmas is over, right? Christmas has passed. For Grandma Annie, Christmas is every day, so not yet for her. But for the rest of us, Christmas is over. And so we're moving on to the next thing, right? So what's the next thing? What's, what's, what's in the shopping malls now, now that Christmas is over? We've got January New Year, we've got Chinese New Year, and we've got my personal favorite, the 15th of Chinese New Year, because you eat Tongyun. That's my personal favorite. But you look around now, and it's like, why is there still a Christmas tree there, right? It's, it starts to get weird. We get this feeling like it's over. Let's move on. Most of us see Christmas as something we look forward to, starting in maybe even September, if you're from the Philippines. Um, and you prepare, and you listen to Christmas carols, and you do shopping. There's a lot of buildup. And then once Christmas is done, it's like, oh, get it away, get it away. We got to move on. We got to move on, right? We prepare really hard, but then we go back to regular life. But there is so much more than that. And because we're still in December, I'm going to take one more Sunday and talk about Christmas. Today, I've titled the message, Responding to Christmas. And it's be because I believe that we're not supposed to just move on. We're not supposed to just put away the tree and then wait another 364 days before we pull it out again. Experiencing Christmas is meeting Jesus. Those two things are, should be the same. If you're experiencing Christmas, you're encountering Jesus. You're meeting Jesus. Now, it might be the first time that you meet Jesus, and that is wonderful. It's a very special experience in that. But it might be the 100th time that you've met Jesus. It might be, you know, many, many times. And there should be always something new. And some of us might feel like, oh, it's the same Christmas story again. Oh, it's a, yeah, 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 I know, you know. But you know what we'll be doing in heaven forever and ever and ever? We'll be praising God. And if that sounds like, really, like that's all we'll be doing, then I'm not sure you understand what kind of feeling it's going to be or what it means or what it looks like. It will be endless wonder, endless praise, endless glory, endless amount of things we've never seen before. It's like having your mind blown. You know that emoji with your mind blowing? It's like that for eternity. 
that's what praising God will be like in heaven. And so that's what encountering Christmas should be like over and over again. It should never get boring. There will always be something new. And so encountering Jesus and experiencing Christmas should elicit in us a response that transforms us the days after Christmas. So I want everybody to take a quick moment and just think of your favorite movie. It shouldn't, it shouldn't take too long if it's your favorite, okay? And you don't have to tell us, Auntie Ruth, we know it's a sound of music. So you, it may or may not be, I don't know. It might be Star Wars, who knows? Um, but you think of your favorite movie, okay? So, so think of how, the, how your favorite movie hap takes place, okay? So first, as it begins, it's setting the scene, right? Because it's the beginning, you don't know what's happening, they're introducing you to maybe a land or a planet or a house or a family or whatever. You're setting the scene, right? Then you introduce the characters, right? You have the good guys, you have the bad guys, you have the love interests. Ooh, some tension there. Are they gonna get together? Are they? Maybe, maybe not. And then you have some tension. There might be some conflict. Hmm, okay. There might be some backstory. All right, now things are getting moving along. You know who the players are. And now they're, they're going to do something together, right? Maybe they're getting ready to face the conflict. Maybe they're going to solve a problem or something like that, right? So just when it gets to the part where you've been waiting for, black screen and the credits roll, and then the music at the end, and everybody leaves the theater. Is that, is, that, is that satisfying for anyone? Is that why we went, you know, and sat there with all that popcorn? Anybody here satisfied with that kind of movie? Is that why that's your favorite movie? Because you just got introduced to a whole bunch of people and problems, and they're like, great, we're done here. No, you were waiting for the part till it gets good, and then we turned it off. We didn't go to the movies just to see a bunch of people and a bunch of problems. We wanted to, where does it go? What are these people going to do? Forgetting about Christmas after the day is done is exactly like that. Imagine if God's plan for humanity since Genesis till when he comes again is a movie. It's a really long movie. But imagine that it's a movie. Now Christmas, where does Christmas fit in that timeline? It's not the beginning because there was a lot of things that happened before the first Christmas, right? And there was a lot of prophecy. So we know that God existed and a lot of history took place before Christmas. But Christmas is when it gets good, when it finally starts happening. We've been introduced to all the characters. You open the Bible. I'm not making this up. Like this is, this is what the way the Bible presents itself. We're introduced to all the characters. We know what the conflict is. We know what needs to take place. And then Jesus comes, and it's like the superhero lands, and now we're talking. So we can't just turn off the movie right after Christmas. It's finally getting good. So today we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to look at the very first Christmas. And we're going to see how Christmas transformed and changed the people that were involved, and how they didn't just put away the tree afterwards and moved on with their lives, okay? So we're gonna do a bit of scripture reading together. And uh, if you need a physical Bible, please raise your hand. We've got a lot of them. Physical Bibles are awesome. Uh, or if you've got it in your device, um, follow along. But I want this to be not just listening. I want this to be 
like story time for us. So if, you're feel, if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes. Uh, Sway's going to play a bit of music, and we're just going to read the Bible. Um, I'm going to read it, and you can follow along. But if you want to close your eyes and listen to it as a story, let your imagination see what it is that it may have looked like at the time. All right, so the first passage we're going to read from, oops, sorry. Oh, there we go. All right, sorry. Ah! All right, Luke chapter 1. We're going to start from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. All right, does anybody need a Bible? Just raise your hand. Okay, we're all good. All right, if you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. Birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Turning to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2. The Visit of the Wise Men Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went back on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Flight to Egypt now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place over his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this morning we thank you for, the, for your word that is alive and because it is alive, Lord, it speaks to us in, in a different way every time we read it, Lord. It 
touches and pierces our hearts. And God, I pray that our hearts would be soft and tender this morning and be ready to receive what it is you want to say to us. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So the passage is not new, like I said, but wow, there's a lot of text there. There's a lot of information there and a lot of drama right? You know, when I was reading this, I thought, why hasn't TVB picked up on this yet? I mean, there is some serious drama going on here. But, but what, does that, what, is all this, what does all of this mean, right? Let's look at each of these characters, Mary, Joseph, and Wiseman. These are the three that I want us to think about today. Because I believe that their stories actually have a pattern going through them. All right, so just to make sure that everyone was listening, quick quiz. All right, so Mary began with a visit from... Gabriel, right? So the angel came and did what? He just kind of stood there and creeped her out by, you know? No, he gave her a message, right? He gave her a message, told her what was going to happen, and how did she respond? Was afraid and ran away. No. Did she respond positively or negatively? Positively, right? And if we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 46, so if you were to keep reading past what I was reading, where I stopped you will find Mary's song, which is the song of praise that she sings to God because she has been called to be the mother of Jesus. And then Joseph, okay, so how does he begin? So what happens to him first? He had a, he had a dream, right? He had a dream and he knows he's supposed to marry this lady, but she's got a baby and it's a little weird. So what happens in the dream? What is he told? He's told not to divorce her, right? He's told to marry her and that it's okay to do so. So what does he end up doing? He doesn't divorce her, right? He continues on with the marriage. Okay. And then the wise men. The wise men are somewhere from, east. from the east. That's right. So somewhere in the east, they felt prompted somehow that they should go looking for the savior. So what did they do? Decided to wait till it shows up on social media and, oh, we'll follow it when it comes out? Or what did they do? No, they got on their probably camels, donkeys, horses, whatever, and they went and looked for the Savior. Now, when we look at these three people, we notice that there's a certain pattern. All three of them experience a revelation. So the revelation for Mary was that Gabriel visited. The revelation for Joseph was a dream. The revelation for the wise men, it's not specified, but they were told somehow or they wouldn't have done, known about it or done anything about it. They were prompted by the spirit somehow. And their response first was to listen. So the message from Gabriel was about the birth of Jesus. The message from the dream was not to divorce Mary. And the wise men were told to go and look for a savior. And their response after listening was to obey. So Mary had her song. She responded very positively. Joseph doesn't divorce Mary. And the wise men go on their search. But let's push it one step further. If you continue reading through the Gospels, you'll notice that this listen and obey pattern actually continues throughout their life. Mary, if you read throughout the rest of the Gospels, is showing up in places where Jesus shows up. Remember, they were at a wedding together, and then she's at the cross. Of course, there's many situations in between. So she continues raising <coughs> Jesus as her son throughout the Gospels. 
Joseph, okay, he doesn't divorce Mary, but then he continues repeating this listen and obey cycle throughout. He doesn't just do it once. So he doesn't divorce her, but then when we just read, moving to Egypt and then leaving Egypt and going where? Listen, obey, listen, obey. And many of those things came through a dream as we just read, right? The wise men, they came on a journey to look for the savior, but then they continued to listen. They were warned in a dream not to tell Herod and to go home another way. So it wasn't just, oh, I guess, well, we, we've heard this once, let's go do it. There was this constant cycle of listen and obeying, listen and obeying. And this is just all that's documented here. I mean, there's a lot more we know that, that just, you know, it's, it's not detailed here. But little other things must have been happening. And these are the things we can pull from it. So it, it's, it's not rocket science. I'm not delving into any of this original Greek stuff. This is the scriptures as it is read to us. We can see that the characters from the first Christmas fell into a pattern once they experienced the revelation of listen and obeying, listen and obeying, listen and obeying. So what does that mean for us? How are we responding to Christmas? These were just some of the characters from the first Christmas. I mean, then you have shepherds and you have everybody else. But just from these three characters, we can see such a transformed life, such an amazing journey of listen and obeying and listen and obeying. And God continues to reveal, right? How are we responding to Christmas? See, these characters met Jesus for the first time, and they were never the same again. And I begin to wonder, how have we been different since we've experienced Jesus? If you think about it, Christmas is experiencing Jesus and meeting him. Now, of course, they met him for the first time. But if we have met Jesus and we live on this earth, then we're like the modern day characters of Christmas that should be continuing his story with everyone we meet. Like these characters went and told other people, like the shepherds went and told other people about Jesus. Well, every time we encounter Jesus and experience Christmas. We're meant to send that same message on. We are the modern day Christmas characters. So how are we different after encountering Jesus? This is not a question that I think can be answered this morning. I think it's a question that each of us may need to spend time with, especially towards the end of the year. How are each of us transformed by encountering Jesus? See, it's December 29. So what are we all thinking about right now? New Year's resolutions, right? New Year's resolutions. So, may, or maybe you're avoiding thinking about New Year's resolutions until the New Year. I, just, just living it out, right? Let's live it out in a couple more days. But let's let's take a bit of time to talk about this New Year's resolutions. Okay, it's going to be a new decade, right? So, big changes. I will finally get on that treadmill. I will finally stop drinking so many bubble teas. I will finally, I don't know what it is, but we're all really excited at the beginning of the year. And then what happens? Oh, Chinese New Year, we still just need a bit more time. I'll do it after the, the Lunar New Year, right? And then what happens after that? Right, <laughs> we're going to wait till, oh, sorry. We're going to wait till Easter, right? But we all start to taper off in enthusiasm as the year goes on, right? 
And then by December, we're sort of like, oh, I guess my New Year's resolution didn't work out very well. But maybe this is the decade that you're going to finally fill in the blank. But on average, I mean, we laugh about it, but on average, no matter how hard we try, New Year's resolutions don't really tend to stick. I mean, there are people who have made changes in their lives, so I'm not saying it's completely a wash. But when we talk about real significant life changes, character changes, habits, matters of the heart, all of these things, we all, it's, it's just really, really difficult. It's an uphill the whole time. And we don't really feel successful. Like, oh, I just can't get around to it. Things like attitudes and just things that are really deeply ingrained in us are so hard to change. Why is that? Why is it that those things are so difficult to change? Well, a lot of the time, it's motivated by fear, guilt, shame, things like that. And those things don't actually convict the heart. They just make you scared. So you're going to go run on a treadmill as long as you're scared that you're going to die of a heart attack or something, right? You're going to go do something because you're just scared or you're embarrassed or you're ashamed. That doesn't make you actually want to change yourself. So, okay, if these things don't work, if you can't scare someone into changing, what actually brings about significant change? What is it about change that needs to happen in a way that totally transforms us? I like to offer three ideas. These are the three requirements of significant change. First, there has to be conviction of the heart. So like I said, fear, shame, all that kind of stuff, it does not convict the heart. It just makes you scared. But what's the one thing that can convict the heart? Or the one person that can convict the heart? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can convict our hearts of things that are good and convict us of the things that we need to get rid of that are not so good. And when your heart has been convicted by the Holy Spirit, you can't not do something about it. It is motivating. You may not even know how to fix it, but you know you got to do something about it. And you will go and you will do research and you'll talk to people and you'll, I just got to do something. I feel like I just need to do something about it. Because you know deep down inside, it's what you must do. It starts from the heart. It's not an intellectual exercise. Not to say we shut off our brains, but the heart that connects with the Holy Spirit is where it begins. Secondly, it has to be bigger than yourself. If you're going to make some significant change, the purpose has to be bigger than just yourself. It's got to be impacting people more than just you. Maybe you're doing it for your family. Maybe you're doing it for your friends. Maybe you're doing it for the planet. Maybe you're doing it for people you care about. Whatever it happens to be. Maybe you're doing it for God, and that's the greater purpose. But there has to be something bigger than yourself. It can't be a selfish thing, or it won't last. Because if it's a selfish thing, there's no real, real motivation for you to just stop. But if other people are counting on you, if other people will benefit from you changing, that's where it will encourage you. And thirdly, transformative power. We need God's help to change. We cannot change ourselves. Think back on all the New Year's resolutions that you've had in the past. How successful were they? Probably not as successful as you wanted them to be. And so we need God's help to change. Without God's transformative power, 
willpower won't be enough. At some point, you'll just give up. You know, physical power, it's all limited. Transformative power, which can only come from God, is what we need. And so some of you might be saying, well, God didn't give me power, so it's not my fault. I'm just going to still be a jerk and, you know, not change myself. No, if you are a jerk, it is your fault. Because God's power is ready for all who are ready to receive. God will never turn away someone who is turned towards him. It's the problem is not God is not receiving us. It's we're not ready to receive. And when we're ready to receive, it starts with a conviction of the heart. God has given us all of those things ready to be transformed. So these are the requirements for significant change. And guess what? Jesus happens to fulfill all these things. Mary, Joseph, and the wise men all were able to listen, obey, and repeat, and live transformed lives because they were convicted in the heart, because the purpose was much greater than they were, and because the transformative power of God was with them, changing them, walking with them, appearing in dreams, encouraging them. So how are we different after encountering Jesus? So I want to suggest an exercise for all of us. Don't worry, it's not physical exercise. You, you have until January 1st for that. <laughs> um, it's called year in review. So I'm sure all of you have been doing year in reviews in different ways, right? Facebook reminds you what you were doing this time last year or how many friends you've met in the past year, right? Facebook will give you a year in review. Your bank account might give you a year in review. Here's all the money that you had and here's the money you don't have now. They give you a year in review, right? My Spotify music account gives me a year in review, reminding me all the people that I've listened to, music that I've listened to this year, and which ones I've listened to the most. I did not listen to that much K-pop, okay? But anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm not cool enough to listen to K-pop. But anyway, year in review. What about our faith? What if we did a year in review for our faith? What if, just like the Spotify music account, there was a year in review of the passages we read this year, the prayers we prayed, the things that were changed in our hearts, the things that made us laugh and cry, the brothers and sisters that we've blessed, the way we've served God, how we've grown, how we've helped others grow. What if there was a year in review for our faith? What if we were to get real honest with God and the thing with year in review is that you'd hope there's change, right? If your bank account, year in review, if the bank keeps telling you, yeah, you only got five bucks left and it's been like that for the past 10 years, I don't think you're going to be very happy about that. It's not good enough just to have not gone down to $4 or $3 or $2. It's not good enough just that $5 over the past 10 years left in your bank account. That's not good enough. You won't feel satisfied. It's not because I'm not telling you it's good enough. What if our year review in faith shows that we've been about the same for the past year, the past decade? This is not something that we need to cook up a good report for, for God. This is not something that we try to put on a shiny outfit and impress God. God already knows. But I think it's an important exercise for us as believers to look at our faith 
in review to see where God has taken us, to see where there are areas where we can become more like Jesus. And if life on this planet is about becoming more like Jesus, then every year in review should be one step closer in some way. I can't tell you what those ways are, but you will know. So I encourage you to spend time over the next three days or so before the year ends and spend time with God and just get quiet, you know, get a nice warm cup of tea, spend time. It doesn't even have to be, you don't have to read scripture, you don't have to pray and just sit there and just ask God to show you your year in review in faith. You know, there are often testimonies of people who have experienced God. And, of course, there are, um, there's physical healings and things like that. But when it comes to character and people changing, what's the most common thing that people say? Wow, that person is unrecognizable now. Like, they used to be this way, and I don't even, I don't even recognize them anymore. They're so different. They're just so different. When someone has been changed by Christ, they are completely unrecognizable from the person they used to be. That's what Christ does for us. That's what Christmas does for us. And that's what the gospel does for us. So what will it look like for 2020 for us? How are we going to listen and obey and listen and obey and listen and obey and allow that cycle to change us? And you might be saying, okay, well, I'm waiting for the revelation. You know, it all started with a revelation. Gabriel came. There was a dream. The wise men, you know, there was a revelation. I don't have a revelation. Well, we do have Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God is active and moving, and alive. John Piper once said, you know, at any given point in time, God is doing about 3,000 things, and we see three of them. So if we're waiting for revelation, we're saying, well, I can't listen and obey because God hasn't shown me anything. I guarantee you the problem is not that God's not showing you anything. Maybe we're not listening. Maybe we're not seeing. Maybe our hearts are not opened. God is acting all the time, and he is on the move. So if you don't know what God wants, ask him. Scripture tells us he will be found when we seek him. And when you ask him, don't forget the second part. Listen, and actually listen, like really listen, and not just for the things that you want to hear. God, I want a new car, and then you're waiting for a yes or a no. No, really listen. Open up your ears for any possibility of response. Mary, Joseph, and the wise men actually listened. They didn't just listen for things that they wanted to hear. And if we are responding to Christmas as people transformed from encountering Jesus, our lives should be thriving with purpose, joy, and motivation. And his purposes should make us excited to live past the day of Christmas. A cardinal priest once said, to be a witness of Christ does not consist of engaging in propaganda, 
nor even in stirring people up. It means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. Let's make this apart a little bit. To be a witness. So this is for people to recognize that you are a follower of Christ. That's what being a witness is, right? To be a witness is to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. Meaning someone looks at your life and says, wow, that's the power of God right there. Wow, there's something different about this person. This is the power of the gospel. That's what responding to Christmas needs to look like. Responding to Christmas means that we should all be changed. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this past year and all the years before it. God, you are God of time. Us getting up in the morning and breathing and coming to church and going about our lives, we think we can control so much, but actually we control so little. The fact that we're even here is because of you. Any one of us could have easily not made it this morning. But God, you are sovereign, and we thank you for that. Lord, help us to respond to Christmas, respond to the gospel, and live out the change that Jesus is ready to make in our hearts. God, help us to live lives that would not make sense if you did not exist. Lord, we pray as we go into 2020 that our lives would not be filled with false promises, New Year's resolutions, shallow, superficial things, Lord, but that we would be seeking deep spiritual truths, transformative change, and hearts that are ready to bless others with what you've given us. God, help us to not waste the time that you've blessed us with, Lord. To not just float through life waiting for things to happen, waiting for the next gadget, the next vacation, the next whatever. But that you have purposed so much for our lives. You came as a baby you made the trip down just so that we could be closer to you. And so God, help us to not squander that and to not take it for granted, Lord. Help us to not put Christmas away in a box only to take it out again next year. Lord, ready us for change. Help us to let go of the things we hold on to so dearly, but really mean very little in the end. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us first. And we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.